The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now let's get into the interview. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you all who is joining me. This is an artist, Mar- Maya Sharp. Uh, Maya uh, Sharp. Yep. Yeah, the same uh, one. Maya Sharp. <laughs> she is a singer, songwriter, recording artist. Uh, you know what? I got a little nervous. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> that's why I said M- M- uh, Maya. I'm going to yeah. start over if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, joining us is an artist. Maya Sharp is a singer, songwriter, and a producer. I've been a fan of hers for years. And when her publicist reached out to me and said, would you like a copy of her album? And would you like to interview her? I thought, Okay, this is this is my lucky day. So this is the new album. It's called Mercy Rising. And I've been having a good time, despite the traffic, driving around because I have this album to listen to. And it's so great to have Ms. Sharp with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, well, thank you so much for having me and and for listening and enjoying the album. It'll be out for everybody on May 7th, but uh, you know, I'm Happy that you got, you know, an advance, a little, a little sneak of it. Yeah. One of the perks. (laughs) So, you know, I, I couldn't help but think when I saw the title, there is a great songwriter in Nashville, John Goodwin. And he said something on the show that I've never forgotten. And he said, mercy is the most important thing in the world, Hmm. but mercy rising. Can you tell us? What made you decide this is this is going to be the title of the album, the title track, if you will? Right. Yeah, it felt like it was the kind of overreaching theme of the record. the The concept of the song "Mercy Rising" is that um, I've tried everything to get over this person. I've I've changed all of my habits I've pushed forward. I've stayed up later. I've slept longer. I've had less wine. I've had more wine. I've <laughs> exercised more. I've tried to like meet a bunch of new people. Like I I've tried all of these things that I've, that I felt like were within my, you know, you know, you know, control, although that's a shifty word. Cause right. But now I just, I'm just waiting for a shift. I'm waiting for something to change. And so the idea of mercy rising is like looking up, you know, you know, like looking up at the sky and thinking, just, just show me one, one little shift. Show me a constellation that I've never seen before. Show Mm. me a brighter star. Show me a darker one. Show me something new. I need something to change. And that's, it just kind of felt like that was the general, you know, the mission of this album is to push through this thing to make it. And actually it turns out the album itself is what helped me to get on the other side of it, just Mm -hmm. to write these songs and to record them and to, to know that they're about to be out in the world. And that release is what was finally the shift. And art imitates life, life, art helps life. I don't know (laughs) what that is. (laughs) Is it at all intimidating when you're about to put an album out into the world? Um, Intimidating how, like how, how people are going to receive it. Yeah. 
is it is there anything about it maybe the word isn't intimidating but you know there's there's this here's your work you've been working on it it's really come from your heart and soul and then you're presenting it it seems like it would almost like from an emotional standpoint be intimidating mm. well it may have been when i've first you know you know started all this stuff when i was 25 or something like that, <laughs> around there um these days though i think i have the advantage of just having I don't know, the advantage of experience and years. And I know that this is what I wanted to put out in the world. I'm really, really proud of it. And I felt like this is the authentic version of everything that I wanted to say in the way that I wanted to say it. So people are going to receive it however they are. I mean, you know, there's no way to please everybody. Hopefully they will enjoy it. Hopefully somebody will see a little bit of themselves in it, but, um, you know, if they don't, that's fine. They should go find something that they do. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't put any weight anymore on the reception of it. Well, with that said, there, there has been a lot of really, really incredible praise that people have, have, uh, uh expressed. And I thought this was cool. Um, from Bonnie Raitt, and she said, yeah. Maya is a master in her absolute prime. And uh, from Keb Mo, what a lovely album. I hit play, and it put me in a beautiful trance that I couldn't get out of. I mean, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the two of them, they're both such great artists and so true to themselves, too. And... um you know, they're really good friends, too. I talk to them often. Um, yeah, I just talked to Bonnie a couple of days ago, and she's just so real and so powerful in her, like, understated way. And just, yeah, I've learned a lot, a lot from her. Um, and her praise still. I mean, I've, I've known her. We met when she recorded my songs in 2005. So, what are we? We've been friends for, you know, 16 years. And still, when I hear her say that, when she writes something like that or says something like that, to me, it still hits me like, oh, my God, Bonnie Ray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> she's still a badass and she still has that. Okay, so what I said earlier about not putting weight on the reception of it, it's important to me that she <laughs> likes it. Okay, as long as she likes it, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. This might be a hard question, but has there been a compliment and not necessarily from these legends, but it could be from a fan. Has there been a compliment that you've received through the years that has meant the most to you? Hmm. Oh, I wish I had a minute to think about that one. <laughs> Cause there, there have been some that just wall up that like, I didn't realize I needed to hear that. I didn't realize that that's r really what I was going for when I put that song out in the world. Um, I think anytime, and I, I don't know what the specific words are, but anytime somebody tells me that they needed to hear that song, that they were in a bad place or they were confused and um, they really appreciate that that song found their ears at this point in their lives. That to me is like, Okay, there's a woman. All right, I got it. I just played, I had just finished playing this great opera house in uh, Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. P.S. haunted as hell. Like, it was like there was some shit going on backstage. Like, there's nobody back there and these noises are happening. Woo. Okay. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. Okay. So we, we finished the show and I was out in the lobby. And we had just played um, I Don't Want Anything to Change, which was one, one of the Bonnie songs. She, she recorded three in 2005, and that was one of them. And she sang the living hell out of it. I put it on my album like f 10 years later because it ne she needed to just like, it needed to just be hers, you know, for 10 years. <laughs> um, but I played it live at the show 
and a woman walked up to me and the song itself when we were writing it was meant to be like the end of a relationship or, you know, that's how we were thinking about it. But this woman walked up to me in Maine and said, I just thank you so much for, for that song. My husband passed away about a year ago and my friends are telling me it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And I've been telling them, you know what, I'm just not ready to move on. I just don't want to. And now I have your song and I can tell them, I just don't want anything to change yet. Hmm. To have, to be a part, to be any part of her life when she's going through that, it was just like, okay, I remember that. I'll, I'll, apparently I will always remember it because that was probably 2006, 2007. And it's like it was last week. And that, that just meant the world to me that I had any, I helped her at all. Mm. You know? Something else that I noticed about Mercy Rising and a, a lot of times uh, with, when, when there are singers, songwriters that release albums, they, uh, they almost sound like demos and that can be a, a really good sound, but it, it seemed like one of the things, I mean, the songs are great, but the, the production really jumped out at me too. Oh, well, thank you. A very well-produced album. Um, it, it, and I, I kept thinking this world, this phrase when I was listening to it, like, uh, hauntingly beautiful. Ah, oh, well, thank you very much. What would you say was the best lesson that you learned in terms of becoming a producer? Um, well, the way, the way I, I choose to produce, and I think it's because I produce my, myself as the artist first, you know, before I started to produce others. And then on this album, you know, I'm producing me again is very, I think I'm choosing to do this because it's enjoyable for the artist who, who is often me. I surround myself with extremely talented people and I listen to them. And I, I like that these songs, because they've been so just inside of my head uh, for so long. I like that they, you know, that they get a chance to breathe a little bit and get to run through other, you know, other players that have ideas about them first before they're, you know, finally printed. So I made sure to just surround myself with some people that I really just really respect everything that they do and all of their ideas. So it started, uh, I tracked it here in Nashville. My buddy Joshua Grange has a really, really nice studio here. And he is like a player of all things that have any strings on them. He'll just like pick it up and play something amazing on it. <laughs> so like he's playing just about every electric guitar part on the record, steel guitar, lap, you know, you know, lap steel or pedal steel. He's, he threw some synth stuff down on there too. And he knew uh, a drummer and a bass player that he had just worked with that he loved. And I knew that if Josh was into them, it was going to work. So we hired Ross McReynolds and Will Honaker. And we were just like instantly a team. And also, I'm so glad that we did it at the end of 19. So it was before the lockdown. So we got to be humans live in a room, you know, and we took everything. I, I had a production plan for everything, like, I knew what the forms were, you know, I charted everything, even though they wanted to write their own charts, which is fine. But, um, you know, I had like a general kind of arc theme and form and, you know, does this halftime is a six, whatever. And, but we took everything, you know, probably six or seven times. And in, in those take, and then I got to take all of those takes home here and, um, you know, you know, while I'm off the clock, I get to just work with all those. And, you know, I chose my favorite sections of everything. I did all the vocals here, piano, Wurlitzer, acoustic guitar, and just really stew in it and take a lot of time. But what they gave me, those basic 
tracks were just the high, just high musicianship and just really great ideas. Everybody's listening so hard to each other. Nobody's like, you know, you know, look at me, look at me. It's all just like about the group. And I'm sure that you're hearing that it was about the glue. Everybody was trying to contribute to the overall sound. And I just, I chose wisely. (laughs) So Wendy said that you may be able to play us something. I may be able to play something. Yeah. Well, look at this right out of this. (laughs) Ah, how about that? I mean, I have a couple in mind. Did you have one that you had your heart set on or whatever? Oh, how about you? You tell me what, what most pops out to you. For some reason, I'm thinking uh, nice girl. I'm okay. Nice girl. Are you? Let's, let's do it. Okay. Yes. I think I'm going to do that one. So. I'm not sure whether to tell you the story of it before or after. I think it's funnier after. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I wrote this one with my buddy Park uh, uh, Chisholm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. After. <laughs> With those smiling eyes and that bedhead hair How the woman that you're looking at Feels like the only one A quiet storm behind your thousand-yard stare Like you want someone to save you Like your running days are done You make it easy to fall in love with you then the rest of it just seems to get so hard to do Oh well, I won't worry about you babe Hey, you're gonna make some nice girl miserable someday take a rain cloud and tell it not to rain can't make a river stop thinking about the sea and it can't change somebody who doesn't want to change and you can't take forever too seriously yeah my prediction as close to well wishing as I can say hey You're gonna make some nice girl miserable Someday, somewhere She's waiting there for you She'll swear you hung the moon The same way that I used to Yeah, maybe she'll stick around For a few more ups and downs Than I could stand Well, maybe she's nicer than I am make it easy to fall in love with you but then the rest of it will start to get so hard to do one of you will cry and one of you will walk away oh but I I wouldn't worry about it babe hey you're gonna make some nice girl miserable someday Make some nice girl miserable someday. Ooh. 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 <laughs> the sound of one man clapping. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. So, so what's I- the story? that's the most like literal word for word 
line of out of my real life. Like all of these songs have some to a lot of truth in them, but that was, um, it sounds like I'm singing that to somebody else, but um, my now ex-wife and I, as we were going through our split in the last year and it was a brutal one and it was, it was so hard and we were, we were already redefining our friendship and we have, I'm very happy to say we have managed to stay very, very close. There's so much love. We were together for so long mm-hmm. and in so many of those ways, still all the love is still there. We're all, we, you know, you know, we talk all the time. We're totally there for each other. So, so happy about that. But in the middle of that, of the split, and we're sitting down having a just a brutal conversation and she looks right at me and she says, you know what? It's okay. You're going to make some nice girl miserable someday. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her like, and she's like, oh my God, you're just writing that down. You're just going to write a song out of that, aren't you? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, look, it landed. You totally made your point. It, hurt but yeah that's a great idea for a song (laughs) you know you know know, know, she totally knows the look of like like it doesn't matter how mean or sad or anything she's like it's so exciting when it's a, a potential song idea so i brought it over to my buddy park and told him the story he's like oh yeah we're writing that (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) The, when I was listening to it the first time, I thought, oh, okay, it's going to say, you're going to make a nice girl. Ha-. And then it's a, it was like, oh, no, that's not what she said. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what she meant at all. No. <laughs> Interesting. Now we know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the tables turn. <laughs> so, Maya... Who would you say are the songwriters who have made the biggest influence on you? Mm. Well, my dad was the first one, Randy mm. Sharp. He's a just craftsman, a wonderful, a wonderful songwriter. Um, he was the first writer that I wrote with, and first songs that I heard probably you know, before I was even literally out in the world, <laughs> you know, I was hearing his songs. Um, so he's, uh, he's definitely the first. Um, I grew up on, well, Bonnie Raitt and Paul Simon. Listened to a lot of Paul Simon and the way that he crafts a song. And also, I love the kind of looseness of like Ricky Lee Jones. So, I think I tried to, I'm always trying to find like that, um, you know, the um, maybe more old school writing like a Paul Simon and then a little like, let it be a little weird, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you know, like a Ricky Lee Jones. Um, But yeah, there's, God, there's been so many writers through the years. I think those were the, those were the earliest though. Um, I listened to a lot of Joni, but I don't know that she's a, direct influence i'm just in awe of her i don't know how much of her thing i've managed to apply to my thing um but yeah she's in there also you know for sure uh and jackson brown listen to a lot of jackson and then recently i mean there's so many awesome new artists i'm just like addicted to everything phoebe bridgers does that Mm -hmm. that just works every time no matter how you know right down the middle or how how kind of wacky her own thing it is it just always seems to work really well um yeah lucius i don't know there's just yeah there's a lot of it that's flying around the earliest though i'm gonna say is paul simon and ricky lee what would you say is the biggest lesson or the 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 thing that you learned from your father randy sharp that has helped you the most as an artist um well he was definitely always authentic to himself and 
you know, very patient uh, with his, with his pursuit of a song. Like he never, he never decided that it had to be done, you know, by 2 PM or, you know, it's, it's only done when, when he has really captured it and set it in the absolutely best way that he knows how. Um, so I, I definitely don't, especially when it's something for me, I, I don't rush anything like, and I fit, if a rewrite shows up in the studio, that's okay. You know? So I think he showed me that he showed me the patience and that it's worth it. And he's also had a couple of his songs and clearly that thing that he's applying to his songs uh, worked for him. Cause he's had some songs that were so timeless and ageless that they were recorded 15 years after he wrote them. And that to me is what, like, I want people to remember my songs that I wrote, you know, 20 years ago, having people ask me for a song that was on my first album. I love that. Like Mm. that, they remember that, that, that hung in there in their minds. That means it wasn't a flash in the pan. It wasn't chasing something that was popular then because it'd be over now, you know, or we'd have to wait for the next time it came around, you know, but that it, it lingered, it lasted. And that was worth all of the time that I put into those songs. And dad showed me that. Hmm. Another writer would be Jason Isbell. I need to add Jason to the stack because I feel like, I mean, I've never met him and asked him how he thinks about it, but I have a feeling we think about writing in a similar way. Hmm. I love, love his work. Well, what you were saying about, uh, you know, you love it when somebody goes back and they say, hey, you know, play this song from the first record. Now that you've recorded, this is this is the eighth album, isn't it? I've lost track. It's eight or nine. I don't know. <laughs> How does that feel to to have created a body of work like that? Not just the songs other people have recorded, but also now this Mercy Rising album. You know, you're, you've released quite a, a lot of work. Yeah, and they're all, you know, they're all just, you know, a snapshot of where I was at the time, but I did work really hard on every one of them. There's a couple of years between albums and that's, that's not an accident because I'm really letting the songs brew and stew and see which ones want to be on the same album. Um, and then the process of, you know, you know, actually recording the album and getting it out in the world. Um, but I like that. I have that kind of, you know, imprint of, oh, here's where I was in 98. This is what I was doing in 2000. Here's 2003. Here's, you know, so I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying for the ageless. I love that they survive, but I can see that there's a shift in every album. And probably like a lot of artists, my favorite one is the latest one because it's (laughs) kind of the closest to where I am now. And I feel like I've applied every time I make a new album, I apply whatever I learned from the last one and, you know, the life experience. And as you get older, you get, you get, you know, some more life experience. And hopefully, you know, if, if you care enough about it, you get more skills um, toward actually expressing that, you know, you observe more, more angles on the same event and you find new and hopefully wiser ways to express what you've seen. So I think, I hope, I mean, you know, on, you know, an album from now in a couple of years, I might, I might look back at this and be like, Oh, I've learned so much since then. (laughs) But now I feel like, um, I feel like this is, you know, you know, this, this is my best work, I think but it's up to you guys. Uh, well, you know, it was, uh, it was, I think maybe about a week ago and I was interviewing Vince Melamed mm-hmm. and he was telling us this story and uh, he, he was talking about how he was in the studio. He was recording something with Bob Dylan and he told Bob that he thought he could do a lot better. Uh <laughs> 
And, you know, I've always been fascinated when I hear about artists and how, you know, they, they, you know, they're searching for feedback or whatever. And sometimes people are afraid of, you know, they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, but yet an artist is always pushing for, you know, tell me what's your honest opinion. Is, Is there somebody around you that you, you really super trust this person, like, throughout the making of this album, maybe you let them hear it and you want that feedback from them. Well, um, yeah. Oh, let me see. Uh, you know, the, you know, you know, my friend whose studio, you know, where I tracked and he's the guitar player on everything, Joshua Grange. He's, uh, he, he always gives it to me straight. And I, I know that if he likes it, I rose to the occasion. <laughs> so having his opinion a- along the way, having him on the team, you know, from the beginning. And I went around, I actually, so I did some stuff here and then I sent some of the stuff back to him for like one more, you know, steel part or one, it needs one more like some crazy like, high strung acoustic thing that I think I saw hanging on your wall, you know? So I, I also got his opinion a little bit later in the game on some of the songs. So yeah, that was a big one. Um, I did send it out to friends, but not like the whole thing before it was mixed. You know, uh, Josh was, was the one that was like there all along the way. And there there were absolutely times where he's like, oh, I don't know that that's really nailing it. I, you know, I'm not sure that's really it. I think it should be this or that. And um, usually, uh, you know, once I heard his thoughts on it, I was, you know, I was, I was right there with him. This is maybe a a tough question, but is there a song from Mercy Rising that you think best represents the album or you think, wow, this is, if I, if I say so myself, this is a real knockout. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to make me not be humble right now in this moment. I think this is a badass song, my song. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I gotta say, I'm really proud of whatever we are. That to me is the kind of writing that I, I, always want to do it's it's a little uh, i'm I'm afraid to say simpler but it's it's a little more straight forward more in like the paul simon like you know the jason isbell form like it it doesn't go off the rails really at all and a couple of the songs will you know a few of the songs on that album do kind of you know their own thing this one stays into a pretty classic form but I'm just, I'm just super proud of it. Would you perhaps like to perform that song for us? Ah, uh, that's where this was going. <laughs> but I didn't choose one that's impossible to play. <laughs> so yeah, so this is called Whatever Whatever We Are. I wrote it with my buddies, Anna Schulze and Thomas Fincham. Um, where do I, where do I capo this bad boy? Um... So uh, I wrote the first two verses on a very long drive down from, Sy- down from Syracuse, New York to Nashville. I don't know how many hours it is, but it's a lot. <laughs> and I um, had somebody on my mind that was just, I was carrying around a little bit of resentment about like, why isn't this person seeing things the way I'm seeing them? And not really they're being very unclear about kind of what we are now and this wasn't my ex-wife by the way um she's very clear we're very clear i love it um this is uh yeah somebody else and um i just i was sick of feeling like that and you know sick of all the questions there seems to be a theme. I'm tired of feeling like this. <laughs> Time to move on. So the way that I felt like I could move on here is like, it doesn't even matter. I don't have to know the answers anymore. Maybe we're this, maybe we're that. I'm going to love you, whatever we are. 
like I need to just choose loving you because wondering about you and resenting you and thinking all this stuff is just like occupying way too much of me. You're probably not thinking about it at all. I mean, that's always the case is like, I'm the only one that's hauling this around. You're fine. Like, I don't want to haul it around anymore. So I brought those first two verses to my friends a couple of weeks later and we, um, we finished it and they were on board. They, they totally saw it. Never again, or just not today. Oh my gosh, I'm tuned down. I'm sorry. <laughs> Never again, or just not today. The first of our kind, or the oldest cliche. Right down the middle. Or missed it by far. I love you, whatever we are. Get in the habit or up in the nose. Two airplanes flying uncomfortably close. Over light from a long gone star. I love you, whatever we are. We've been it all. I still don't have a clue what you are to me. Breaking my heart, loving someone forever, whatever we are. Stuck in the memories, we're trying to move on, changing the station, we're singing it. up a fight I'll just learn how to see you in another new life cause we've been it all I still don't have a clue what you are to me There's something that I would really like to ask you about. Mm -hmm. I got to see you perform. This has been quite a number of years back, but uh, I got to see you perform alongside Buddy Mondlock Mm. and Art Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. And uh, I must say that of all of the albums in Art Garfunkel's discography, Everything Waits to Be Noticed is just, it is a shining example. Of oh, what a, thank you. Yeah, that was such a great experience. 
Yeah, did you see that at uh, Chastain Park? I saw it in, I believe I was in Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that whole experience with him, all of it. I mean, the writing, you know, the recording, on the road. We went to Europe, too. It was just awesome. And an incredible album. Well, thank you. What is art like to write with? Well, we, so he, he had never written songs, you know, he didn't, he didn't write any of the, you know, you know, uh, the Simon and Garfunkel stuff, but he had written prose for years. Right. And he, he had a book of prose that, um, we started. So the first probably three songs that we all wrote together, we started with his prose. So like, uh, the thread, and everything waits to be noticed and um a couple others but those were the those were the early ones those were take like the first verse or two and the just kind of overall idea was taken from words that he had already written so he i know that that helped cuz he felt like he was already a you know he was already a huge part of the song so even though he had had never written a song before he had already written half a song because of the prose. And so we just did the music to it. And all of those songs were kind of different uh, uh, writing uh, combinations. Those two songs happened to be Buddy Art and me, but there were some other writers in there too. Billy Mann, who brought us all together and produced the album, um, wrote with us in various combinations also. And some of those also started with words that art had had already written and we just kind of songified them, you know? Interesting. But I think, I think it helps because he's, you know, he's obviously a bigger star than we are, but we had done a lot more songwriting than, than he had. So I think there was something a little closer to a level playing field because this was his first time in the writing realm. Um, but uh yeah he's been he's always been very supportive and i learned so much singing with him and a lot of our approach to it like we we avoided you know three part harmony like the plague i think we had maybe we had it maybe like two times on the whole album there's a lot of unison there's a lot of like weaving and you know like i'm weaving in and out of them they're weaving around me um so there's a lot of uh, somehow because 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 my voice is low-ish and his is high-ish, we ended up unison a lot. So I had to match freaking Art Garfunkel. <laughs> like <laughs> His phrasing and his breath. His breath to note, like, ratio is the is the biggest I've ever heard and felt. There's so much air in his note. So I learned a ton from that. Like I got to I got to take a big old lungful to get through this line and and to match him. And um yeah, I learned a lot. His range is awesome also. There are plenty of moments where he's going higher. He's going higher than I am and more effortlessly it seems. What is he like? He is wicked smart. Like he, he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever known. And he makes observations that nobody else, I haven't heard anybody else see the world like that. You know, he was going to be a math professor first before Simon and Garfunkel, like, you know, really took off. He's his mind works like that. He, he loves a map he loves a math equation. He loves to draw real life stuff. Like the whole concept of the thread is like at the corner of 53rd in the summer of 62. Like he likes to cross life with math and a map and a point in time. And the, just the way that he looks at the world and thinks about the world is just a very, very unique thing. Um, I mean, he, you know, he could get a little prickly sometimes, but we were also, you know, under under a little bit of stress, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and he was always very supportive, very supportive of me. He was always, he was always very, um, he just always felt like a friend, you know, 
and you know when when we could when we could travel uh whenever I went up to New York, we would try to get together and and um yeah, he's really funny too. He can be really serious and then just really funny all like <laughs> in a couple seconds, yeah. I never mentioned this on the show before, but I bumped into Art Garfunkel one time Yeah, in Macon, Georgia. He was as nice as can be. Great. And uh, I'll never forget this. It, it, then he said, well, I'll see you later. And he got in, he got in this car. This guy was driving him away. And as, as the car drove away, he just continuously waved like this. <laughs> and that great. was the last time I saw Art Garfunkel. Uh-huh. <laughs> It's like a song. That's the last time. (laughs) You know, you have had so many incredible singers who have decided to record your work. I mean, in terms of people who are known for singers, for being great singers, Bonnie Raitt, Trisha Yearwood, as we've been mentioning, Art Garfunkel, Edwin McCain. Yeah. Could you say that somebody has done the best job recording something you wrote or co-wrote? I don't think I can. I mean, I, I'm I'm so lucky to have a panel of singers like that. And they're, I'm also really lucky. I have songwriter friends that have had their songs recorded and they're like, hey, I just got a cut. It's really exciting, but don't go listen to it because it, <laughs> they totally botched it. You know, <laughs> I've been, I've been really fortunate that, um, you know, those singers, first of all, I already loved them. I already wanted to hear their voice, whether it was singing my song or not. Um, and then they all like just really understood the song and honored it and made it their own. So, I mean, I really don't, I mean, it's, it's always such a thrill to hear a great singer sing, sing my words. It's just, it's, it's been something I've pursued from the very beginning too. Like the, my very first cut was with Cher and it was the year before my very first album was out. And I, I was hooked on that feeling of like, you know, in the days where like you physically purchased the record and then like you flip it over and you look at the song title and M sharp is under one of those songs. It's like, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm hooked. This is such a high. And then to hear a familiar voice sing this song that I never knew what was going to happen with the song. I just, just worked on it, wrote it, and, you know, found a way to get it out there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just love that feeling and I love the compliment of somebody occupying a space on their album with one of my songs. So yeah, I could never choose. It's always, it's always a thrill. Well, has there been an interpretation of a Maya Sharp song that surprised you? And that doesn't necessarily mean in a good way or a bad way. Just I had, you heard the song for the first time and you thought, that's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they came up with that. Interesting. Um, the ones I'm thinking of, they stayed. Everybody stayed fairly close to the demos. I've even had the great opportunity to like, to be a part of their versions. Like after they heard the demo, like, uh, yeah, oh, let me see. Bonnie and I met in the studio for the first time because she asked me to come in and sing a harmony and to recreate some of the saxophone section stuff that I had done on those songs. Uh, Trisha Yearwood asked me to come in and recreate the background vocal on on our song. Yeah, the chick stayed pretty close to the demo. I'm trying to think. Maybe Bonnie's version of uh, The Bet I Made which that was probably that was probably the most unlike my version and i didn't have my version on an on an album yet and then she did her version and it was so beautiful and just luscious that then when it was time to put it on my album i copped some of her vibe <laughs> like i stole <laughs> some of her ideas on it because it was just so good i mean of, of course it was good it's bonnie <laughs> so yeah she was probably the biggest like oh this is different like it's slower um it's it's 
kind of more embracing the jazz, but also more kind of acoustic percussion. What's going on here? And then just, oh, I know what's going on here. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was really wonderful. Going back to the album, Mercy Rising, is there anything that you want the people who listen to it to get from the experience? Um, I mean, I, I'm a believer in just because of the way I, I listen to music also. I really think everybody is going to tailor the way they receive it to fit their lives at the moment. Like, you know, I listen to albums. First of all, I like listening to full albums. So what I really want them to do is listen to the whole thing <laughs> and not just like the first three singles on Spotify or whatever, but like the album as an album. Cause I really did think about it as an entire body of work. Um, and then I, I fully support absorbing it the way that you need to absorb it that night or whatever for that, you know, car ride. Um, I want it to apply. And I tr I tried to write it. I mean, obviously there are specific stories in there and a lot of it is real, but I also tried to choose language that's universal enough to where you can interpret it to just be the feeling that you need right now. So that's what I'm hoping. I'm hope that I hope that people can absorb it the way that they, you know, that they need to. Cause for me, that's, that's how, that's how listening to music saves me. It's like, Oh, I just, I needed to feel this. Hmm. Uh, I like what you said there that everybody gets pretty much maybe what they are supposed to, or maybe what they want to get from it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be exactly what the lyric is saying, but if you, you just need to feel a little better or, or a little, a little more wallow in or whatever you need to feel, if that's what you get out of it, then I won. There've been a lot of times where I've told a songwriter about their song, my interpretation or what I think about, you know, what it's supposed to mean. And they've said, interesting theory. That is not what the song is about at all. <laughs> right. But I'm sure they also said, but, you know, I fully support your right <laughs> to take it like that. Right. Right. You know, if that, obviously that's what you wanted to hear. So hear it. <laughs> Well, I always like to end the show. I, I, I like to give the guest an open forum. Hmm. What would you say? There, there could be people listening anywhere on the globe. What would you say to anybody who's tuned in with us? Oh, my God. Just anything at all? <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, I, I think you got to give me a topic, a general topic. Okay, uh, let's say somebody is tuning in and, hmm, let's say they're tuning in and they've been very moved by the music that they've heard. Mm. Um, well, that's what it was intended to do. I'm hoping that you hear something in the music that you needed to hear. Um, I'm hoping that you feel the journey of it because I, I, you know, I was thinking of it like that from song one all the way to the end. And then I even added uh, what I guess we're calling it a hidden track, but it's really only because it's like 15 seconds later. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a very accurate snapshot of the last two years of my life where there have been more changes than ever. Um, just about everything that changed has, but everything that could have changed has. Um, so I, you know, for those of you who, I mean, a lot of us have been through some pretty wacky changes in the last year and a half now. Um, you know, so for those of you who might want to relate to an album like that, hopefully it'll be that for you. Um, 
also like the idea of just kind of letting yourself be swept away in the feelings of it and not, you know, necessarily have to have lived. I hope that you haven't lived the sorrow that's in this album. <laughs> it's not all sorrow, sorrowful though. I, you know, I promise has a little bit of humor in it all, you know, also. Um, yeah, I just, um, you know, I, I just hope that it's, it's what you, what you need to hear when you, you know, decide to hit the play button. <laughs> well, Maya, is there perhaps a song that you have to send us on our way? Mm, a send you on your way song. Um, what are we going to do? We could do um, Junkyard Dog. Okay. Now. I guess it's a little sorrowful, but it's more angry. side so faithfully could have worn a sign said beware of me never wander no I never strayed nobody got by when I was at the gate you can mesmerize me with a barrel fire go sneak another woman through a tear in the wire like what we had was just a pile of old tires and i'm your junkyard dog junkyard dog ever hinted that chain junkyard dog howling out in vain fighting for a love you don't care about Protecting something you could live without I thought I was the queen of your castle Turns out I'm just a junkyard dog You left me alone For hours on end And I was true to you Again and again had me wagging and willing for whatever you could spare. I took what you were given, followed you anywhere. Like a junkyard dog at the end of that chain. Junkyard dog howling out in vain. Fighting for a love you don't care about. Protecting something you can live without I thought I was a queen of your castle Turns out I'm just your junkyard dog Don't be surprised to come home and see A collar and a chain where I used to be You gotta find another fool Take the place of me And be a junkyard dog the end of that chain Junkyard dog Howling out in vain Fighting for a love you don't care about Protecting something you can live without I thought I was the queen of your castle Turns out I'm just a junkyard dog Sounding great. Thank you. I highly recommend that you check out the album version of that because Josh is just electric man all over that thing. There's just like lap steels and just killer. Two drum kits. It's just like wall o blues. <laughs> so yeah, that was super fun. Well, that's a fine idea. In fact, everybody, this is what it looks like. 
Maya Sharp, Mercy Rising. It's going to be coming out very soon. Mm-hmm. MayaSharp.com. That's M-A-I-A. That's how you spell it. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, the wonderful, the talented Maya Sharp. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was really nice to talk to you, Paul. It's been a real honor. Until next time, I hope. All right. <laughs> All I'll right. See you okay. We'll see you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Doodly Goodbye.